welcome to Defen episode number 34 and this is the i think this is the third episode that we're trying to do do live and this time we have Mike Thompson all the way from Australia and future on the show <laughs> welcome to the welcome to the podcast uh, mike thank you very much and uh, there is also the other guy on the podcast can you please introduce yourself sir what who who who's that who's that <laughs> <laughs> well i've i uh, yeah it's a uh, uh, remondo here <laughs> and uh i've got my i've got my son in the background as the kind of usual uh, distraction for the for the video people who you know rather than looking at our horrible faces is kind of you know they can watch the gaming guy in the background <laughs> yeah so right anyway let's let's get started so uh, mike finally we figured out some of the technical stuff that you're using um somehow things work differently in australia than than here uh but at least we are live now and and we are recording we're live so um let's let's talk about uh, stuff now first of all <laughs> ray you you are talking about the holy trinity right <laughs> well, i was thinking it was sunday so let's t- let's, let's start like that yeah the holy trinity yeah um yeah Yeah, I yeah, I don't know if I I've kind of lost my uh my motivation to speak about it now, but what the hell? We'll we'll give it a try. So I was I was going to say that there's sort of three the holy trinity is like HTML, CSS and JavaScript. Um and a lot of the stuff we're doing in um in in kind of closure script um server side things is obviously mixing all of these things together because that's what React does and we're sitting on top of that. But there's a lot of judge you know blah 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 in the community about whether or not all of these things belong together whether we should be doing these spars and i was trying to frame some of the discussion around whether or not you know we should think about spars or we should just like forget it and just say okay we're doing spars single page applications um so let's just move on so i think we can just edit all of this out to be honest because yeah <laughs> i don't think anyone really gives a shit so I I don't want to I don't want to talk about it anymore. Sorry. <laughs> we can okay, talk then, we can talk let's, well, let's talk because uh, I, I use reframe so let's talk about that instead. Uh I use reframe and I think it's pretty good. So that's why we got mic on. So let's just dive into that instead. Good. I I know, I know about that stuff. I'm not sure about the other stuff. <laughs> no no strong <laughs> no strong opinions really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So how how did you how did you get into reframe or how did you make that one or maybe you know we need some historical context because you know uh, there there is a lot of good stuff coming out of Australia so especially from you guys you and Dan and everything oh before we get that i mean mm. i saw a comment on on reddit somebody said uh Dan and Mike are the nicest mfers i mean i can't say that but he's i think he he meant in the nicest way so they they were very excited that you know you're going to be on this uh, on this episode very nice of so, them so we do yeah. our best <laughs> so just give us some introduction uh, how did you get into closure and and then we'll we'll get into deeper into reframe yeah okay so um i guess i we got into closure uh, we've really got into closure script we're really a closure script sort of a, a shop more than a closure shop uh and uh, we do slightly unusual software where we're we're a company of about sort of 6 uh, and we we do optimization work and our software tends to sit 
on the side of another pre, uh, main uh, reference system at our clients, and we um, uh, we uh, we do a bit of premium optimization work, and then we send some um, uh, we send some um, uh, information back. So we don't do a lot of traditional web server related stuff. What we do is we do uh, we have to gather a lot of complicated information from our users. Uh, then we send it off to a, a you know, back-end cluster of machines which do a whole lot of number crunching on it and then we get an answer back and we need to display a pretty, a pretty sort of result, sometimes a complicated result for the user to have a bit of a look at. So we're not your traditional shop where we're kind of doing a, a relatively thin veneer at the front over a database at the back-end. So we're mm -hmm. slightly different in that sort of regard. So we were using probably starting in about 2004 2005 we were using flex or flash sort of to do our oh. front ends and of course that was a really sophisticated environment you know i i still curse the day that sort of you know that you know that's died really but sort of uh it, that was a very sophisticated environment at a time when everybody else was using ie6 you know we, we were in this absolutely marvelous world of flash where we had uh, full animations and we had, you know, beautifully rendered fonts and sort of, you mm. know, that we're in this lovely, uh, in those days they called them rich internet applications. That was Adobe's yeah, term yeah. for it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and incredibly sophisticated stuff. So I, I really cursed the day that it became apparent that Flash was sort of like just not going anywhere further. So uh, I then started looking around for well, what are we going to do next? And there weren't that many possibilities at that time. At that time there was JavaScript. And, you know, this is that horrible version of JavaScript which existed at one time. I know these days it's got lots of new features in it which make it much better. Um, but uh, uh, it was, uh, we we looked around, there was CoffeeScript, was actually a genuine alternative at that time. And the other yeah. alternative was Dart. You know, I had a good long look yeah. at Dart yeah. at one stage um, because that had... Um, uh, Gillard Brasher in it, and that's someone that kind of I was familiar with from the small talk days. So mm. sort of had a good look, look at all of that, and in the end probably came around quite like the idea of ClojureScript. That was a kind of a really unusual left of field sort of choice. But, you know, we're holding off, holding off, holding off, and then suddenly React hit, and I saw Reagent, and I went, oh, okay, that's it. We're going to go that way. So it was, uh, I remember looking at ClojureScript and somebody was using ClojureScript to program Angular, for example. Yeah. And I was just there, yeah. God, that just looks like the worst of all worlds to me. Here you are <laughs> off in this small side technology called sort of ClojureScript at that time. And you're trying to use a JavaScript framework and it just looked an absolute mess. And then suddenly React was there and suddenly there was Reagent over the top of it. And yeah, we were we were good to go. We, we kind of pulled the trigger and that was two th uh, early 2014, I think. And uh, yeah. uh, after a bit of a search to try and find kind of what we wanted to do. Now, of course, there's lots of options. There's TypeScript and there's all the rest. But back then, there weren't really that many options. And, and I just didn't want to do JavaScript. It just looked too painful. But it seems like a, I'm, I'm, I remember some of the stuff from Flash and Flex a long time ago. Mm. And it seems like a bit of an apples to oranges comparison with ClojureScript, isn't it? Because uh, Flash was more, act, what was it called again? ActionScript. Action script or something? ActionScript. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
so it was action script and uh, flex came later as a ui toolkit and everything and, so and it we was used, much more like fully use, packaged we use flex um so yeah. i mean the brilliant thing about flex was you just got instantly good looking applications like there was yeah, no yeah. styling concerns uh, at a time again at a time when uh, this is before bootstrap came along right so bootstrap yeah, has yeah. given a generation of people uh, and uh, programmers an easy sort of a look and feel right mm-hmm. well with with uh, flex you got an instantly you know, really very good look and feel. And we did a lot of complicated stuff in, in Flash and, you know, it worked very well for us. We've still got some systems, you know, running in um, Flash. And, you know, soon they'll stop working because Chrome is going to, you know, withdraw support and all of that. But, you know, they're, they're still pretty nice looking applications and they were they were possible to do in Flash. They were just impossible to do in um, the other web technologies at that time. I think it's the. It was obviously Apple that killed it, wasn't it, with the with the iPhone and the iPad and stuff like that. So yeah, because you know, yeah, well, it was a very nice portable desktop um, environment, like you say. Exactly, um, it commodified. Yeah, it, uh, the the reason why Jobs didn't like it, I, you know, he wrote a three thousand word essay ranting against flash and uh, you know yeah. steve jobs never wrote three thousand word essays for any reason he didn't have to write a three thousand word essay when he got rid of the um uh you know the floppy disk for example everyone just nodded yeah. right so yeah. uh he he did that for his own reasons because flash represented a a um a, a, a commoditizing type of a platform that meant that he couldn't really have an apple store so you can totally understand why he did it there's an awful lot of people around who you know, we'll sort of say he was doing it for altruistic purposes and all the rest of it. No, he wasn't. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, he yeah, successfully yeah. killed it. But, you know, there was a lot of – it had it had lots of security problems and, you know, because it was really developed pre-security awareness, really. So, uh, you know, in those early days, and I think it was all just too much to, uh, to get yeah. fixed. Yeah, I mean the other complaint was that it was a CPU hog. That was that was his big complaint. That was that's what he crucified it on, wasn't it? Whether that's like actually true or not is open to debate, but that was yeah. the kind of like central thesis that you know it just yeah. it just killed the uh, computer, uh, especially the mobile computer batteries and stuff like this. Yeah, well, I find I must admit I find Chrome co- kills my extremely powerful <laughs> laptop. <laughs> The next laptop I'm getting is going to have 32 gigs of RAM. I've currently Just, got 16, and it isn't enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because of and Chrome. That, that, that seems that seems like a very interesting comment that that he made. That is going to kill CPU, and then we run Slack, and that's going to take I don't know, fucking 20 gigabytes of RAM, and then it needs a cloud to run, you know, yeah. cluster to run. Just yeah. just to have a chat application. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. things are getting uh, we can, so much we can better. About this shit later. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Obviously, CSS grid is going to save us all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But c- compared to ActionScript, because mm. ActionScript, if I remember correctly, it's it's so long ago, and, and mm. I used to do that 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 crap on Macromedia days as well a bit mm. uh, before Adobe acquired them. Uh, ActionScript is much more object-oriented, right? And then you see the rest of the things as a, there is a fundamental shift in, in, in the languages these days. So how, how do you feel the difference between ActionScript days and now ClojureScript? Oh, it's, well, it's a, just a completely different paradigm. Um, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, it's a completely different way of of uh, of, of developing applications. I mean, we're, we're, with ActionScript, we would have uh, an event backbone and so everything was sort of subscribed to the events and, and you would produce events and then 
um, there are all of these things listening for a, for effectively what were state changes or you know and everything. Uh, you had a, you know what it's like. Object-oriented systems, they're state everywhere, and it's yeah. all, it's all got to, it's all got to stay connected in some way. So everything's got to be listening to events, and then sort of knowing how to update themselves was kind of, uh, mm. uh, you know, yeah. dividing up the behaviour and the responsibility. But sort of, you know, I, I, I love what we've got these days. I, I really do. You know, I feel like I've been developing UIs for thirty-five years, and. And really, I feel like what we've got at the moment is 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 as good as it's ever been. And I've I've developed in small talk, albeit for not a huge amount of time. But you know, I've seen all the best of the systems, and it really does feel at the moment the combination of FigWheel and um, you know and uh, and CLJ Dev Tools and Closure Script and React and you know Reagent and Reframe also. It just it feels uh, it feels very good. But we do do slightly unusual applications. You know, in the sense that mm. ours are very SPA-ish. You know, they're, they're, we we don't talk to a server very often. You know, mm. we might talk to a yeah. server once, and then 15 minutes later we might talk to the server again. And in the meantime, the uh, the application has done an awful lot just you know in its head without talking to the server. So mm. I'm very aware that our applications are quite different to a lot of common applications where you know you, the application is very is a the client is a thin layer a thin veneer over the top of a remote database um, yeah. so we're, I'm, I'm very mindful we're different I think that's why I developed reframe the way that I did because of our our bias in that way maybe we should just like a because we, we sometimes get like complaints about not introducing the tools properly that we're talking about. Um, so like you say, you know, reframe is the thing that you're famous for. So we should talk, we're definitely going to talk about that, but uh, famous, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're extremely for some, famous. For some, uh, for some measure of fame. Yes. <laughs> no, you're, you're extremely famous on this hemisphere. I mean, you should come here. I mean, people have this huge statues of you everywhere. And, you know, no, we, no, I, I we, stay down here because we, no one knows me. I just would hate all that fame up there. Yeah, we, you can walk we, on the streets without being mobbed. Yeah, without being, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That, and, and we genuflect towards, you know, Perth every morning and evening and mm. like, okay, we say our prayers and everything. But um, yeah, please, please tell us how, how did Reframe come into the picture? Well, more about oh, what, like, is, what is more it? about what's the ten thousand foot view of Reframe? Like, what, what yeah. what's its purpose, and you know, what what are we kind of trying to achieve with Reframe? Okay, uh, well, we I, I was saying before we we first of all we decided on Closure Script, but couldn't quite commit because uh, you know we we saw Closure Script being used by uh, by people who were using Angular, for example, and then all of a sudden there was Reagent, and at the same time. At, at almost coincident time, there was OM, and the two of those suddenly mm. hit as layers over the top of Reagent, uh, over the top of React. And so I, I like Reagent. Um, and at the time, uh, we knew though we just needed more, right? Uh, like we, we could see that what Reagent was, but we also knew, you know, in a traditional SPA, you need a proper, proper MVC type of framework in an object-oriented world, right? So we knew that it was just a view side of things. So we needed all the rest of the, where does the control logic go? Where does the, um, how to, you know, uh, all the wiring in the back end behind all the views. So uh, that's really what Reframe does. It, it just provides architecture, sort of you know, all the architecture that happens behind the views. Um, yeah. 
So it, it was just we needed we needed it for ourselves. We needed it for rather complicated applications. I mean, we've got we've got full pivot tables that we've written, and and we've got you know scatter plots where you can um, you know scoop up scoop up points and put them in buckets and all that sort of stuff. So we write complicated front end stuff, and uh, and we needed a proper framework to do that sort of. Um, to to handle all of that, you know, and like I said, going back to the server very infrequently, and that's what reframe what reframe was. So just a quickie on that one. I mean, because all those kind of scatter plots and all those visualizations mm. traditionally in JavaScript have been done using D three. So yes. what, yep. what's your do you use that or is that, uh, is that we have swapped across to using Vega. We use Vega right. Lite or Vega, and it's excellent. Like I really would recommend it to anyone. There, there's good reagent bindings for it. There's good bindings for like RUM as well. Um, as far as I, yeah. And so, so what is Vega? Is, is it just yeah. a complete rewrite of that visualization? No, D three is underneath there, Vega, it? but it's oh, okay. uh, it's out of the Interactive Data Labs IDL, I think it is. Same place. Have you ever heard of Tableau? Um, oh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So sort of, I think the. I'm going to get some of this detail wrong, but this is approximately right. Uh, the interactive data labs or whatever used to be at somewhere like Berkeley or Stanford or something, and and okay. a group spun out of there and formed Tableau, and they, and they retained strong relationships um, to this day, as I understand it. They've moved universities now, though, to another university, but they've come up with this... Um, grammar of visualizations and it's 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 terrific like you can do all of your basic you know plots and scatter plots mm. and all the rest of it but like one or two of the things that we've done recently are really sophisticated and like honestly they'd just be a huge amount of work and you, you've got to spend a good two or three days learning vega vega especially is what well, it can be as complicated as you like really but uh uh, once you've learned it, it's one of those Swiss Army knives that I reckon we'll be using for a long time to come. Always look for Swiss Army knife technologies. <laughs> you know, they do a lot of stuff for you. But for the for the reframe, why specifically reagent? Because the I remember first, the, I think the first one was Ohm, right? It, it, that that linked React or that uh, used React. Yeah. Um, and then we had uh, oh, uh, RUM, we have Quizsaint or something, and then we have many different types of things. Yeah. So what 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 is the reason why you picked Reagent to to build the framework around? Um, well, two thousand and four, uh, I think I, I hope I get my dates right here, but in about mid two thousand and three, I think React came out, and then suddenly at the beginning of two thousand and four, like December January uh, around Christmas uh, of uh, that swap over between two thousand and three two thousand and four, we suddenly got three frameworks which were OM, Quiescent, and Reagent. They all came out very close to one another in terms of time, um, and I think it was uh, like 2013 and 14, I think. Yeah, I yeah, think just you're... on that cusp, I think. Right. Okay. Yeah. I hope I'm remembering. It's 2003. Oh, did so I? I sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. No, yeah. the cusp <laughs> of 2013, 2014. Uh, you got those three yeah. all at once, and uh, yeah. so that was the choice. You know, that was the choice I was faced with. So, um, I. I didn't like OM and it was a very difficult time because like here I was, I was swapping across into the functional world and mm. uh, and I was feeling quite unsure about what was good and what, was, what wasn't and everyone was into OM. Um, and so yeah. it was a slightly harrowing time actually for me because I was sitting there going, 
I don't like this cursor approach. Uh, you know, I can't organize my data in a tree the way that Om wants to me to do it. And I, I felt, you know, I, whereas I looked at reagent and I went, no, 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 that's the way I want to do things. And yet everybody else who seemed to know what they were talking about was across on Om. And initially reagent got very, very little traction. Um, and yeah, like I said, I would keep on running back to Om and going, okay, I'm missing something. I, I haven't got this. Um, you know, I'm missing something. And and in the end, I slowly convinced myself that I wasn't. And so we 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 went with, um, yeah, it was mostly the curses. I didn't like that concept at all because I felt that in a more complicated application, um, the actions that uh, like curses are good for CRUD type of activity, you know, updates. And but the moment you get more sophisticated kind of intent from the user. Um, you, you just, it's not a simple data update most of the time. There's theres logic that normally hangs in. Every time a user clicks a button, there's more than just the data up there. There's complicated logic that normally has to happen. So it just never felt quite right for us. So uh, anyway, so we, we got stuck into Reagent, but realized we didn't have the framework that we needed. So started working on that. And so I think by the end of about 2014, uh, no, just at the end of 2014, I started writing up what Reframe would be. And like I said, it was real, my, I think my brain at the time felt like a washing machine because there were so many new <laughs> concepts. There were so many new concepts that sort of I felt like I was getting hit with. Um, you know, I looked into Pedestal, um, Pedestal yep. app, um, yep. the front end, which was uh, kind yep. of, that was all new. Um, there was also Hoplon. Um, yes. And, yeah. and, you know, I was pretty intrigued by the whole um, uh, FRP side of that. And uh, yeah. Uh, the so, stuff, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, and 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 there was also Elm, which was happening. Like there were these. Uh, the moment I saw Hoplon, it started talking about FRP. I followed through FRP, ended up looking at some games because uh, Elm at that time was mostly about games. Um, yep. And uh, and uh, later on, the Elm architecture came along at pretty much the same time as Reframe came out. The two of them sort of came out coincidentally with mm. each other but there were a lot of good ideas in in what i saw like so hoplon and, and elm were quite influential om was uh some of i think david nolan's uh more advanced tutorial i remember reading that and a penny dropped for me about the way that i kind of wanted reframe to be so i don't know there was there was a uh, lots and lots of influences and it's all just a washing machine really I was, yeah. <laughs> I was just <laughs> hanging on to a log and trying to yeah. stay afloat there for a little while. <laughs> well, what, what do you think the fundamentals of like of FRP? Maybe as we go into what FRP is and what you yeah. liked about it. Oh, okay. It's like uh, functional I've, reactive programming. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, uh, it appealed to me because I, that concept that the, that whole React concept that the, user interface is the um is the uh is simply a rendering of your state um your application state and and the transfer the 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 uh the, the successive derived views of, of the data in app state all the way through to a ui getting rendered um that's obviously fundamental to react but it just seemed like mm. that whole dominoes and FRP seemed to fit into that. I, I, I don't have a neat explanation for why it appealed, but it, it was just part of the washing machine that was going on at that time, and it seemed it it seemed there's something very right about it. And and also, Reagent had built into it this notion of uh, reactions, 
um, mm. and and kind of contexts in which if if something changed, the context would reevaluate, and which was very FRP-ish. So suddenly we had mm. the right tool. We had the right uh, tool to use. Um, uh, sorry, the right technology to implement FRP. It was right there in Reagent. So mm. it was just the right few ideas coming together with some existing technology and and uh, yeah yeah I probably yeah I, w I wouldn't do it the same way if I was doing it again now but at the time that uh, that felt pretty good and it's worked pretty well pretty well yeah I mean the thing about FRP to me is it's a little bit like these uh, like some of the functional technology in general you know that it, it all seemed a little bit uh, impractical you know yeah. 20 years ago um, but suddenly with all these like advances where, where React has this sort of DOM diff thing, these algorithms that, that make all of that kind of stuff very efficient, mm. you can suddenly focus on, on the kind of expressivity of your application rather than the, the mechanics of, of this update. Mm. It seems like they were giving us a real gift there, you know, a bit like the, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It, it 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 uh, look if you look at reframe, there's really two parts to it, right? There's the uh, how do we make stuff happen? There's the, the you know the, the users just clicked a button, and we yeah. now need to figure out what's what's happening. And then there's all of this infrastructure that once we've figured out how the world should change as a result of that button getting pressed, there's the infrastructure associated with uh, re-rendering the the changed world um, for the user mm. to have a look at. And it just, it's just that boom, 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 you know, that, that lovely sort of uh, uh, one thing leads to another. Everything's, uh, uh, there was, there's, there's something about that. I, I still can't put my finger on it. I've, exactly why it's just so pleasing. But having done like UIs for like three and a half decades, there's, there's, yeah. there's something deeply, deeply pleasing about it uh, that, uh, that just brings a smile to my face. It just works really well. I, and I'd love one of these days to understand why exactly that is, but it, it's just so perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the data flow stuff, because you're talking about, you know, there are, there are two parts to reframe. Mm. One is the, the rendering thing and the other one. Mm. So uh, I remember this whole uh, one directional data flow stuff, or yeah. one directional uh, thing um, was uh, coming from Ohm, I think, um, or at least the React uh, kind of thinking. So can you give us some idea about how does this thing work? Like the, what exactly is unidirectional flow? Because there were some concepts, these things in, uh, I remember reading from Pedestal as well, like they had also similar kind of concepts. Mm. So what exactly we mean by unidirectional data flow? Um, okay, well, I guess unidirectional data flow means that, uh, well, actually during the flex days, I had some experience with, with uh, bindings you know, because um, uh, Flex allows you to have um, two-way bindings uh, between a piece of state and something on screen. And so, you know, if, if, the, uh, if the tick box is ticked, then suddenly the piece of state, which, or the Boolean, which represents whether the state is ticked or not, suddenly flicks on. And if equally, if you programmatically change that Boolean to a different value, then the tick box on the screen suddenly stops um, yeah. uh, now that's a classic case of two-way binding, right? Because you've got the the state affecting the UI, and if somebody changes the UI, then suddenly the state changes. So that's a classic case of two-way binding. And for the small demo apps, that looked really good. Like I still remember the Flex 
demo apps um, that look fantastic. Mm. You know, uh, the, uh, mm. the the number of lines of code you didn't need to write because all of that was just given to you. The yeah. moment you yeah. got out of <laughs> out of nappies with that sort of stuff and started to build <laughs> slightly bigger systems. Oh, that was a catastrophe, right? And that's because, you know, the, the way that all the state got updated was non-deterministic. You know, this could happen this time. It might happen. This tick button might happen before um, or this tick box state might change before this other thing over here. And it was just, um, it was horrible, you know, very quickly it got horrible. And so I knew that two-way binding, which is why I was anti-curses, right? Because that felt like two-way mm. binding um, because of the mm. flash sort of experience. Um, so the unidirectional, uh, sort of the unidirectional flow that, that was really flux, uh, which was one of the precursors to, um, or the, the Facebook guys talked a lot about unidirectional. I, I mm. think that's where I picked it up from. And you're right. Also pedestal yeah. had, had that in it as well, but it's like, yeah. um, you, you, you want a, you want a clear path, um, you, you, you want to make your interactions, uh, uh, you want to know what's going to happen one thing after the other. That's why the entire reframe tutorial is all framed as being, uh, a, you know, a set of dominoes. One thing leading to the other, leading to the next, leading to the next. And it's very deterministic. Um, you know exactly how every event is going to get handled. They're always done in the same boring way in the same boring fashion. So you know exactly how it will happen this time and how it will happen mm. the, the time after. So uh, you kind of take away the, um, uh, you know, any, any, uh, any, uh, take away any, um, any sense of, of difference each time round. So um, it's always predictable. It's yeah, that's it. That's sorry. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's exactly predictable. So Whereas the two-way binding, it was very non-deterministic. What you never knew quite how one thing was going to cause an update to something else. So that's very definitely what we wanted. We wanted sort of like a um, a set of dominoes, one hitting the other, so you always knew what was going to happen next and what had happened before this to even cause this domino. And so you could break your system up into little parts, and you know kind of where within the dominant set of dominoes they were. I think there's two parts to that flow as well. It's like the whole like talking back to servers and having the UI stuff. And then there's, because I, I think that's more complicated, but then like mm. what you're talking about at the moment is mostly just on the UI side, isn't it? Mostly yeah. like, you know, somebody makes a change to the UI and now what happens? You know, so someone clicks that box and like you say, basically you've, you trigger a function, that function gets called, that may result in some new data in in the database, which in in Reframe's case is some some set of atoms or an atom, um, and then you have listeners. If I'm not wrong, you have listeners on that uh, or subscribers on that atom, yeah. and all the subscribers are kind of automatically updated. And this is where it starts to get fun, I think, because you have a kind of like. Um, broadcast effect of all of these um, changes. Hmm. So how does it stay predictable with, with that kind of um, broadcast? The, the, well, the broadcast, uh, I mean, reframe apps are 75% derived data, you know, so, right, right. Uh, so because you, you have to view the user interface itself as derived data of the state. Um, right. So you've got your what we call AppDB, which is really application state, 
and then that uh, that's the root of a tree, and then the uh, the leaves of that tree are actually the uh, the view functions that actually render HTML. So again, that sort of mm. data is produced um, right on the leaves, and between the uh, the root of the tree, which is app AppDB. And the views, there is uh, this uh, kind of um, signal graph. Um, and the signal graph basically takes data which is stored within AppDB and progressively transforms it, possibly through a few steps, sometimes just one step, uh, from raw data stored in AppDB, which is kind of we view as something of a an in-memory database, is the kind of mm -hmm. the view that we have of it. Um, it's a series of material um, views uh, materialized views are made and then finally the ui itself is the ultimate materialized view that's you know that's the ultimate mm. expression of what data we currently have in AppDB. so mm. all of that is just derived data so and it, and and that data flows through a signal graph and each node in the signal graph has a chance to modify it in some way so we may take some items out of AppDB. we may then sort them we may then take particular elements out of out of the maps in each of the items um, mm. to form our materialized view and then ultimately there are view functions which will turn those sorted items into uh, you know nodes that appear on the um, in the DOM mm. so 75% of a reframe app is really derived data um, if you include all the UI which mm. you should because the UI mm. is just more data that's hiccup um, yeah, so th there's this uh, flow of data through the signal graph, and that's of course um, pretty uh, uh, pretty deterministic. It sort of happens pretty much the same way every time. Yeah. I think isn't it isn't it the basis that I mean we kind of forget it sometimes with Clojure and Clojure Script is that the reality is that in these other apps like Flex and JavaScript we don't have immutability, whereas with with um, Clojure Script and we have this atoms and we do transactions on the data so. It's that immutability, that foundational stuff that gives us this predictability. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's other aspects of reframe which help with that as well. So, for example, uh, when an event occurs, so if a button gets pressed and an event gets um, uh, emitted, um, yeah. uh, the handling of that event may cause some complicated changes to AppDB, you know, the, the state of the mm. application. But that state of the application is committed like in one transaction at the end. So we might change five different parts of AppDB, but uh, yeah. almost like a commit with a, a database, the, um, uh, the, the, commit, the complete transaction happens in one step. Because that's always what you hate in applications and what happens in the object-oriented world a bit is that you start updating stuff throughout memory and of yeah. course, uh, you know, you get halfway through that process and you're in an intermediate state in some form. Like yes. I've done half of the changes, but not all of them yet. And so uh, that that's what would happen a little bit when, with the two-way binding I was talking about before in, in mm. something like Flex. Whereas luckily in our state, in our case, we make all the changes to AppDB and it's only then that it gets committed, if you like. And it's only then right. that all the derived data actually um, uh, gets calculated from that one-off that transactional commit if you like so that mm. tends to make things subtly easier as well it's it's only a small thing but if ever you've been bitten by you know systems that get into intermediate kind of inconsistent states it's kind of a it's just a it's just a small thing that's nice just removes one type of problem this is if you see the the two-way binding thing especially because uh, i think we we skipped 
at least 20 30 generations of javascript frameworks <laughs> jumping from uh, flex to i don't know all the way until uh, react thing. yeah yeah because i i remember uh, i i used to follow this shit a lot and since backbone and before that ext.js and then that became sencha and then there was sprout core I, i don't know if you have ever heard about that one that was it's it's a name i remember but i don't know anything about it no i remember looking at backbone i remember looking at backbone at one time trying to maybe make the jump across to javascript at one point yeah yeah so the, i think there was like um, first there was yahoo ui xjs stuff which looked like really windows like components like a, a grid component and stuff like that and then later we had this uh, dojo dojo toolkit and then required js and amd modules and ub tools um, yeah exactly and then yeah. there was so many things that 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 moved along because especially that the two way binding i remember from i think it was in dojo and later ember and sprout core as well because sprout core was uh, i think one of the frameworks that apple adopted for icloud uh, web mm. stuff mm. um and uh, yeah i mean they they first made the presentation software online and then it was like wow amazing i'm going to use sprout core now and then mm. it that the, the one the, the as you said the, the applications when the scale becomes bigger and bigger it becomes completely unmanageable it becomes so painful to see which shit is modifying what yeah and in, so and that's, in what that's order something, yeah but it yeah, looks exactly. it looks fantastic at small scale like in your small demo exactly it, like there's so yeah. little code like where where even yeah. is the code like there is no code it's all just magic happening through all these <laughs> bindings it's magic and then you try and scale yeah. it up and it's a disaster exactly yeah. but what would you change if you're if you're going to redo the reframe so oh. re reframe <laughs> oh okay what, uh, what would be different uh oh, okay so it's a little hard to describe but it's like the, the, the you know how I sort of said that uh um reframe is 75% derived data at the moment we have a signal graph that i was just talking about before so data flows mm-hmm. through the signal graph and um we use reagents uh reactions underneath that w- one of the things that i would change if i was doing it again and and it's it's it would be a change just in how we implement that not not the concepts mm. like so th- to the program of the concepts would be the same but just the way that i implemented that would be different i just wouldn't use java's uh, reagents um uh reactions anymore because that that's actually a classic case of distributing your state all over the place you get these little nodes like quite you end up with a graph with all these little nodes mm. i just wouldn't do it that way again i'd do it in um uh, i'd just do it in one place i'd store it all in one place um uh mm. and uh not distribute it with a number of little nodes all talking to each other because that's a classic little object oriented system right that was a mistake but you know yeah, yeah. uh but it's just an implementation mistake i can change that if ever i get round to it so that i don't i don't make that one again um uh there's there's not a lot i would change there there are definitely things i would like to uh do better i think in the do better area um i one of the areas i don't think reframe does a good enough job is in what well, i'll probably call it higher order behaviors you know that's just there what what happens is a user clicks the button and then there's this there's this uh there's a whole lot of 
there's a whole lot of behavior that has to occur that's often async, right? So you've got to go off and you've got to talk to the server and you've got to wait and you've got to put a twirly up and, you know, and maybe you might time out and then you've got to explain to the user that it timed out and ask them to, you know, do you want to hit another button and try again or do you want to abort this whole thing? And there's all of this sort of like stuff that has to happen that's really very state machine-ish. You know, there's a little, you hit mm. the button and you and you're just off into this little state machine and like in Redux, they do it with Redux sagas. They try and do it with something mm -hmm. called Redux sagas, which is they use um, now my JavaScript is not that strong, but they use the generator of what in Python would have been generator functions and and uh, async yeah. and and you know all of that sort of stuff. So they kind of write little state machines in JavaScript um, uh, rather than representing the state machine in data, which is I think what we'd prefer mm -hmm. to do. So mm. um, and as far as I can tell, well, anyway, I would like to have a better solution for that. That's that's for sure. Mm. That's um, um, it's a, you enter a little like everything in reframe is about events. Nothing happens without an event. But in these sort of cases, the user clicks on a button. That's an event. But then there's all these downstream events like, you know, we, we, OK, we've sent something to the server. The server's responded with a failure. Now we've got to handle that failure. There's a little um, uh, yeah, there's a little state machine that you need to implement to actually do that. And I don't think Reframe does a good enough job of that at the moment. So that's certainly something yeah. I'd like to improve on. The interesting thing is how to do it. Um, yeah. And uh, I've kind of been looking, the state machine stuff really fascinates me a little bit. Uh, and there's something called behavior trees. I don't know if you've ever heard with them, but that's something that the gaming community uses to implement. Um, now, I'm not a big gamer, so I, I don't... Uh, NPEs, what are they called? Non-playing entities or something? Yeah, Little yeah. bits of AI yeah. that yeah. run around yeah. the inside of the yeah, game, yeah. shooting you Mumbling and trying to kill you and yes. make your life difficult. Yeah. Well, that, those sort, uh, that's all done with state machines and that's done with uh, yeah. behavior trees, which in behavior yeah. trees are a very composable form of state, of state machine. So I'm kind of intrigued by them. I don't, I don't know if they'll... Uh, I, I, I'm kind of intrigued by all the good stuff that the gaming community does. Like I feel yeah, as yeah, if yeah, we're the poor yeah. cousins across in um, in our world somehow. They've they've figured out yeah. this retain my graphic stuff years ago, and we've only just got React just a little while ago. They they do so much good stuff over there. I feel like we we should be stealing more of it. What are we doing? You know. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So you want to gamify everything, well, including back and code. <laughs> I want to take idea. the best of the ideas. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was, I was pretty intrigued. But they're, but they're very mutable, aren't they? They're into very mutable state. The gamers. Yeah, they, they they certainly have been doing the retained mode graphic stuff, which is kind of like what React is, sort of for the longest time. Uh, that's my understanding. I'm I'm not a gaming developer, but sort of, uh, I, I get the impression that they're always about two steps ahead of us. Yeah. So the most important questions. I mean, we have two important questions. First of mm -hmm. all. Um, Before we move um, on to the important questions, I mean, <laughs> you mentioned the. Um, because the, there was a thing in Clojure, um, in the Clojure script community, maybe it was about a year ago, that some guy did um, a, what do you call it, a state machine on top of Reframe, actually. Yeah. From yeah. Cognitect. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't remember. I think it was just called there's, Restate or something. There's been a couple of attempts at that. Um, I've, I, uh, okay. Uh, so here's the thing. I think that if you're going to go the state machine road, you have to go all in on, you have to come up with a very good and flexible state machine model. Like Harel, 
like I read all the background behind uh, what he's done. And when you like, like uh, he was doing a lot of work in Israel with uh, defense force um, sort of in defense force contracting, as far as I can tell, working with uh, with an and they were trying to make an airplane and they needed a way to represent to model or uh, the specifications for all, all of the avionics systems and they were struggling mm. horribly. And so they got Harrell to come in and he created, you know, the hierarchical, um, uh, the hierarchical uh, sort of state machines. You've got to do, you, and I, th I think we just got to learn from here. All the state machine stuff that I've done uh, or that I've seen is kind of a fairly impoverished version of state machines. What he mm. found is that you've got to have quite a rich, model so you've got to have history states you've got to have you've got to have it hierarchical uh, otherwise you state machine stuff is not expressive enough and you know the uis very quickly you end up with the ui where where you're using a state machine but it's just not expressive enough and mm. and so you're out you know you you're just busted at that point because you can't do what you need to do you got to somehow break out of the mold and you know you're gone at that point so i think that if anyone does it, they've got to do. They've got to be all in, you know, um, mm. with all the features that Harrell's already identified that you need to properly specify interesting behaviour. So most of the attempts that I've seen so far have been uh, limited, you know. So mm. Uh, mm. Uh, yeah, I've seen that stuff come past. I'm I'm pretty interested in it. Uh, we did something called uh, reframe reframe async flow which was we had a problem which was when yeah. our application started I've up. I've used that actually. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, when our app started, you you go through this little state machine at the beginning of your app where you you know you you connect with the back end and and you get something mm. and then you're off to an S3 bucket and on the basis of that and you you know you load something else so there's this boom 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 process that and of course you could get failure at any point and uh, you want to fire off these two things once this this thing is completed it's all the async stuff and that's a little state machine as well so I'm kind of fascinated mm. by the whole um, how do we it, it feels like the next layer of reframe should be something about properly doing state machines and I've, I've seen a couple of people try and that's why i've looked at behavior trees if anyone wants to you know mm. do something with behavior trees i reckon they look pretty good to me that's very composable mm. represent them in data part of the problem with state machines is they're not very composable um yeah uh, you know that that's what i mean like it feels like this there's, there's something good there but i don't know yet quite what it is i'd i'd love to have a good solution for that that's that's not really what I do differently with reframe. It's what I do next. I think. Yeah, yeah. Whenever yeah, I get yeah, time, yeah. <laughs> we spend all of our time so, on reframe ten x. It will make <laughs> you a ten x programmer. Oh, wow! Yeah. <laughs> That's our claim. <laughs> the the ugly secret though is, of course, that the ten x programmer then becomes a hundred x. So you know <laughs> yeah. you don't catch up, but. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, the the most important question, you know, the the question of uh, every episode. So do you use Emacs or some other shit? <laughs> I mean, this is kind of a strange thing to ask, you know, like yeah. people from Australia. Yeah. Look, I spend most of my time writing PowerPoint slides or responding to emails. <laughs> or uh... you can do that in Emacs, yeah. by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so um, no, we uh, we use cursive. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. I think I think it's it's a, it's a. I, I'm pretty sure Colin is bribing you. He's in Australia. Well, he's, well no, he's, <laughs> he's no, no, no. Don't say that. He's, he's in, in New, New Zealand. Zealand. Oh yeah, he's in, <laughs> exactly. he'll hate you forever. <laughs> he'll hate you forever for that. 
even more. <laughs> it's it's too far for us. So it's all abstracted well, that, away. Into yeah, one, no, one we're just place. an abstract blob on the opposite side of the world, aren't we? Um, an undifferentiated, exactly. an undifferentiated set of islands. Yeah. Um, no, Daniel. Daniel, by the way, is also in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we spoke to him as yeah. well. Yeah. So uh, the the other question is. So, which came first, the documentation or the code for reframe? Because this is like uh, the yeah. biggest thing ever. <laughs> um, the, uh, they both came along together. Um, I kind of realized, like I said, my brain was a bit of a washing machine at one time. I kind of, there were all these ideas floating around and banging into each other. So, I had to get them down onto paper. And I had to explain them what I was thinking to the guys in the team as well. So hmm. I just, I, you know, it started off as kind of bullet points and then it, you know, um, uh, you know, this paragraph got a bit fleshed out and that paragraph got more fleshed out and, you know, asked some questions and I thought, oh, yeah, that's a good point. I better should I should explain that. So but because it was it was all intended really to be internal. So I could be as cheeky as I liked in it. So um, hmm. uh, <laughs> and, and also like I was having a good time, like I really was having a good time. Yeah. Like I'm talking about it being a bit of a washing machine, but it was it was a very stimulating, fun time sort of trying to pull mm. all of this stuff together. So that kind of came through in the way that I was talking about it. You know, I was just having fun with it all. Um, and it just slowly, <laughs> it's, it just got bigger and bigger and ended up way too many <laughs> words. And I think Eric, Eric Norman called it um, eccentric. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah i felt like an english gent who wore sort of purple 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 suits who had a fascination with amazonian sort of butterflies or something <laughs> but uh anyway yeah we calmed it down after that but yeah it it it, it was look it, it I'm, I'm doing it at the moment uh, i'm writing down stuff that i want to change with reframe i find that I have to get stuff out of my head and down onto paper so I can think of other thoughts, you know, get it out of yeah, my head yeah, down there. Yeah. Right now I got that down there. Now I can have other thoughts. So, um, and the clearer I can write it, the clearer I understand it. And so it's very much a selfish exercise for myself as much as anything else. So, um, yeah, yeah it all happened at the same time. One didn't come before the other. <laughs> well, I think people really like your uh, your informal style, you know. Uh, My like eccentric you say, style, it's a bit cheeky, but yeah. yeah, but I think it's really, yeah, I think it's it really engages people. So, yeah, I think you've done a great job there. Uh, you know, uh, trying to have a sense of humor with technical documentation is risky. I think mm. um, yeah. uh, Scott Adams, the guy who does Dilbert, right? He, uh, I read a piece of his once where he said that at least twenty five percent of the population don't have a sense of humor and I, I genuinely mean that that they can see other people laughing but for them yeah. it's it's not funny and and like the reframe docs there's all this stuff in there that they would experience as just annoying roadblocks you know oh now yeah. what's he yeah. doing yep. you know and so um <laughs> you know what's he crapping on about with now you know so yeah. that, that there's at least 25 percent of the population for whom that serves it's 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 an, a nuisance right and then there's, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, there's probably another forty percent of the population who, who kind of do have a sense of humour, but it's mostly about awkward social moments, you know. Um, yeah. uh, and and then <laughs> I think the Venn diagram for his yeah is yeah. So this too. is this is Scott Adams' theory, and I tend to uh, agree with it. And um, uh, yeah. and then, and so your 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 audience, if you're trying to do any smart ass humour, is sort of like 
sort of, you know, at best about 40% of the population who will actually appreciate it. But you get survivor yeah. bias. So, so with something like Reframe, um, you know, 40% of the population didn't mind it. And as a result, they hung around and told me it was great. What I didn't see was the other 60% of the population who just went, this is a load of crap and I'm not reading anymore. I never saw them yeah, and yeah. I never heard from them again. <laughs> I, I don't think anybody got to the point until they're going to ask for a T-shirt. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. At that, that point, people gave yeah. up. And I was wondering, maybe there should be like a, you know, on, on GitHub, they had this this raw and then the diff mode and this kind of stuff. Mm. So there should be like a, like a uh, switch on the top that should say, you know, with humor and then maybe a slider like how much amount yeah. of humor do you want how much am i prepared and then to put the documentation up with? has yeah you see, exactly. see the 40% actually <laughs> i sit in the 40% generally i quite enjoy the smart aleck humor because it gives me a bit of novelty and i kind of like that in my technical documentation but i totally get yeah. that people like there's there's just other people for whom it's nothing but a pain in the neck and i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> but but i i'm not going to change i i do it for my own enjoyment so yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Anyway, so uh, Reframe 10x, you said Reframe 10x will make me um, uh, 10 times programmer, but I'm at zero. So probably, you know, regardless of what multiplier is going to be, <laughs> I'll still be at zero. What, it, what is Reframe 10x? Oh, yeah. Okay. So uh, <laughs> we've been working away on this for a while, probably about 18 months, actually, but it stalled for a long time. And then last year, Daniel organized... Uh, well, did Daniel, I'm not sure exactly how it worked, but sort of we had Ruby Girl, two Ruby Girls who were sponsored and they chose to mm -hmm. work on um, a on Reframe 10X. They put up a proposal, it got yeah. accepted. Um, yeah. uh, Kristen Saskia worked on it for, two, uh, for about three months. Uh, they had a bunch of, uh, they're in Berlin. There's a, it's a hotbed yeah. of Reframe activity in Berlin, I've decided. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it always seems to be uh, reframing things going on over there. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go there one day, um, and maybe I will be famous over there. Not here, but over there, maybe. <laughs> um, uh, so there's, uh, yeah, that, they they did that, and that kind of they solved a problem which had sort of been hanging around, which we hadn't solved, which was how to use, uh, you know, CLJS um, dev tools. Absolutely yep. wonderful tool, like. We should yeah. thank Darwin every single day for creating that tool. Um, uh, they they found a way of taking his um, they and their their mentors in in um, in Berlin uh, how to how to just get that into Reagent basically so that we could use all the work that Darwin had done and my goodness he's done a lot of work on how to show data structures. So that was a real breakthrough because we, we kind of wanted that for a little while and they managed to make that happen. So we then sort of put our foot on the accelerator and did a bunch of other things. And we probably spent way too much time in the last six months doing it. You, you know, programmers will spend way too much time on tools for themselves. Like they just, yeah, they exactly. like that. So um, uh, there's something pleasurable about knowing your target market and, and, and Emacs, yeah, Emacs. Oh, shut yeah. off. <laughs> He's off. Um, so uh, yeah, we, that, that's and and Daniel's done a lot of I, I think great. Well, I keep on telling him he's doing the most interesting job in closure at the moment. Um, he doesn't believe me, but uh, uh, it just we, we're doing form by form tracing of closure script work, and uh, so when an event handler runs. You can use a macro that Daniel's written, and it will give you form by form tracing of that. Like, and I went back and had a look at Lighttable probably about 
uh, probably about three months, uh, two months ago, just to have a look at how it did things. We, you know, we're looking for inspiration, mm-hmm. and um, we and we realised that we're doing a much better job than Lighttable. You know, we're, uh, mm. of what we were showing Lighttable. My memory of Lighttable was that it was absolutely breathtaking, and and kind of when I went back to it and had a look at Instarepples, which by the way they've now removed, so I had to find how Instarepples yeah. Insta worked. You know, with old YouTube videos. But like you really yeah. only got let bindings and you got args and you got final values. And yet what yeah. Daniel's managed to do is he's actually managed to get form by form tracing and we kind of show it with indentation in a particular way. I, I don't know. I love it. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. like when you, uh, <laughs> it, uh, it's certainly got some sharp edges still. Like don't give it a big loop. That could blow it up. But sort of yeah. uh, it feels like it's just a good basis for some good stuff. Mind you, we run out of time now to work on it. We really got to go and do some work that we'll get paid for but um <laughs> uh it's been it's been fun and i think it's a i feel it feels like something really useful so um yeah yeah i think yeah. it is because we had um we were at the closure d in berlin as you said berlin is probably the you know probably conclave of uh, reagent now inside germany yes. i don't know australia probably or new zealand <laughs> so uh i think um it was uh saskia or somebody yes, she gave saskia, a, a yeah. quick talk about uh, about that one yeah as well. saskia was uh, yeah. one of the ruby girls one of the two ruby girls i said before chris and saskia they both yeah. worked on it in 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 berlin and uh, yeah, yeah yeah they they cracked this little problem and we kind of we've run yeah. with it since then and and uh yeah we've done a lot of work a lot of styling greg who also works at Dayat. He's done a lot of work on the styling. So um, it looks mm. pretty and it does a, mm. quite an interesting job. We're going to sit back and actually yeah. use a, our own tool now for a while and just sort of see what we mm. learn from it because, you know, mm. you have yeah. all these good ideas, right? Oh, we need this. Oh, we need that. But it's only really use which yeah. will um, uh, knock the edges off it and, and produce a better tool. But we, we, nice. we, we, so, we think it's something sh- people should try. Yeah, I think yeah, definitely. it's it's one of the nicest tools. I mean, I haven't tried it yet, but I saw the demos and everything and I saw the talk mm. uh, by Saskia as mm. well. Uh, it was super fun. Um, so what what is the, uh, so you, you work at Day8. I mean, is it like a consulting company? No, no, we're, it, it's, you have it's, your own no it's my little company. We've got about six people in it, uh, six developers. And we've, uh, I've, I've probably been in the advertising industry in the uh, for 20 years. And uh, what, You're like Madman of Australia? No, no, no. Sorry, it's not me. That's in our software's <laughs> in the advertising industry, but oh, in particular, okay, okay. into how do you place ads on TV? So we do the optimization oh. sort of uh, stuff around that. So we've got a very, very particular niche that we work in okay. with TV networks and with advertising agencies. Yeah. But one of the one of the things is that, especially because it's your own company, um, how how did you? How did you uh, feel when you're picking up a language like Clojure, where you're probably the only guy in Australia at that time who is doing Clojure, or maybe two other people? Look, look, and there's betting a company on this um, one. There's there's actually a pretty good uh, uh, Clojure meetup actually in Sydney, and there's one down in oh, Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And uh, Daniel used to one run the one in Auckland in New Zealand. Um, so there's a bit going on with Clojure, um, and it's not huge, but there's mm. a bit. Uh, there's always about twenty along to the the meetup in sydney uh oh. it's it's growing okay it's it's yeah very yeah. slightly but sort of it's definitely bigger than what it was a couple of years ago um mm. so yeah like i said it was a we had to make a change because we had to get out of flash yeah. and mm. it was just the best option i mean um, and and i i i i i'm convinced i haven't seen anything that looks better let me put it that way 
I uh, like I would yeah. I would change in a flash. I'm uh, I'm too old to get too connected to too many technologies and too attached to them. I've seen them all come and go. So I would change in a flash if I thought there was something better. And uh, I feel like Closure yeah. Script for front end work is is a really good solution at the moment. It's it's in a good yeah. place. I, we we feel very productive. So there has been some discussions recently, of course, on the podcast and also on the on the internet about uh, the whole error messages stuff and specs and you know closure being extremely mm. painful for the beginners and uh, you know all that stuff. So so what what is your experience has been on this one? Well, remember that, error messages. Remember that I care more about PowerPoint presentation error messages than closure <laughs> messages. But sort of um, uh, no, uh, yeah. Look, it's 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 it's. Um, it would be good if it was better. Um, it would yep. be good if there was uh, more focus on it. Uh, but look, there'll be reasons for it. I, I you know, I'm unaware of them. I, it, it's a funny thing, isn't it? There's, there's a, um, there's, there, there's, there's definitely a split between. Mm. Uh, look, look, where if if you're doing a lot of development in Closure, you're effectively betting your career to some degree on Closure. And as a result, mm. you care about the community growing, you know. And I, I, mm. I've I've got a company, uh, you know. We 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 you know we'd like to if we needed more closure people, we'd like to be able to find them. So it, it yeah. matters to us whether there's a strong closure community. Um, and I think that anything that we can do to improve that is, is a good thing. And getting people like mm. so. I'm not sure that's Cognitech's point of view, though. Uh, mm. I mean, I, I don't know anyone from Cognitech, so I am speculating wildly. But they certainly have an agenda, and I'm sure that it makes utter sense to them. You know, it'll be around Datomic and, you know, uh, all of that. So that makes perfect sense. But I'm not sure it's that well aligned to the rest of the community in terms of everybody else just wants closure to work. You know, we want it bigger. Yeah. You know, we want more smart yeah. people in it doing more interesting things. Thanks very much, because that's generally a good thing. You know, generally that's mm -hmm. a good mm -hmm. thing, and it really matters how difficult it is. Uh, it really matters your initial experiences of anything. Really matters, right? Yeah. Always. Yeah. Um, I remember I got into Python at one time because you know one afternoon I thought I'd try Python, and then like within two hours I was coding away, and I've never looked back. You know, uh, Python is yeah. one of the best languages I've ever used, but it's like uh, um, that was because the, the 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 onboarding process with Python was just so delightful. You know, uh, the yeah. documentation was extraordinarily good. I could start off at a very simple level and in no time I was up and running and it was like a, you know, it was like heroin. You know, I was into it and I was away. You know, um, I, are you are you recovering, Mike? Are you? <laughs> so my parents kept on telling me. Anyway, <laughs> they kept on warning me about these things, and Python was it for me. So um, yeah, kids, don't do heroin. Yeah, so no I Python. Did Python instead, and and look where I am now. Every <laughs> no, the um, it was yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was very easy to get going. There was no road bumps and suddenly I was yeah. producing perfectly good programs. So, um, yeah, mm. and we'd all like that sort of uh, for um, closure as well, really. And, um, mm. yeah, what can you say? It's it's It keeps on coming up, doesn't it, as an issue? Yeah, yeah. It, is it? I mean, 
the other thing that uh, VJ mentioned there was spec. I was wondering if if you have a place for spec in reframe, Mike. Oh, I think so. It's going to be something yeah. adding that as value or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, we already use spec. I think if you're using reframe, you should have uh, a spec for what's in AppDB because the instant that something that uh, that that an event handler changes AppDB in a way that doesn't match the spec, you should know immediately uh, when you're doing your development work. So yeah, spe specking AppDB is absolute. We do that. We, we've got specs for our AppDB. There, there's a thought that maybe you might want to spec also what, what's in an event, you know, but. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I've wondered about that on occasions, but sort of, I don't know, I've never been too motivated down that path. Events tend to be very simple things. So, mm, you know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm always cautious about adding a lot of code. Like I don't, for example, unit test any any yeah. view code. I, I sort of, <laughs> I, I, I say that in the doc somewhere that sort of I don't, I don't <laughs> unit test view code because they're an unlikely source of bugs in my experience, right? Um, whereas event handlers, that's where your bugs are going to happen, right? So you want to, you, you want, uh, they're likely to screw up AppDB in some way that you never thought of, right? So good idea to have a spec to check AppDB, but, you know, do you really need specs for events? I don't know. Probably, maybe I've thought about that, but maybe not. Mm. You can also uh, spec the output of subscription nodes, you know, possibly. Mm. That's probably more sensible, in my opinion, because that could, you're doing some, you know, some, Sometimes you're doing complicated transformations on what's coming out of AppDB. You can get that wrong. But uh, yeah, I, I think right now you can use spec. So coming from coming from Python, you said, you know, Python, you really like that language. So what do you miss in enclosure compared to triple Python? Qu triple quoted strings. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just so you're going to write a macro no, for that one now. I'll, no, I'll no, 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 because uh, you, with triple quoted, uh, quoted strings from Python, you don't need to backslash, you know, um, double yeah. quotes everywhere, which means that yeah, suddenly yeah. your um, your doc strings are so much more readable. They haven't got all of this, you know, meta black backslash stuff in them. And that drives me bananas. <laughs> that just feels like uh, I understand the reason. The reason is that there's a potential for a, for a, uh, a backwards compatibility problem because if two strings had been put one right next no double oh i can't remember there's some obscure yeah. situation where introducing triple quoted string strings now might cause a problem i'd i'd, I'd yeah. do it in a flash if i was mr hickey i would do it in a flash <laughs> but this is all coming from pearl here doc stuff right i mean this is a long time ago yeah that, that Probably Python carried it over, and it was never Lisp sort of. Isn't, isn't there a isn't there a Java proposal now to do something exactly like that? So I think that only you, string interpolation, as I remember, not triple quoted stuff. Um, uh, Maybe uh, I'm wrong. To, to have the same effect where you can embed oh. quotes inside of your quotes, okay, inside of your strings. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah. you know. But yeah, you're right. That's interesting. Yeah, that would be. That, yeah. that is the only thing you miss from Python. Uh, it's the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, <laughs> okay. What else do I miss? Okay. Uh, Oh, look, oh, the thing you notice about Python is just that the size of the library, the, the size of the, that there's so much available to you. Anything you want to do, yeah. there's a library for it. Yeah. Like, and it's normally yeah. a top quality library that's just fantastic. You know, you look at it and go, wow, you know, there's, man, years of effort that's gone into this. And I'm, I just, it's well documented. It's, you know, I just pick it up and I use it and it's, um, 
and we're away. Uh, that's was my experience with Python. It's um, anything I ever wanted to do, there was a library for it. So um, yeah, okay. I, I think it's also it's a very pragmatic language, Python. I mean, so so I think that Clojure is too, by the way. But sort of, uh, it's a very yeah. pragmatic language. It, it's kind of object oriented. It's a bit, you know, it's certainly got plenty of functional to it. It's uh, it's a it's a very pragmatic language. I I, I um, very easy to do good things in it. You know, <laughs> I, mm. I I you know I, I've. I've what you sometimes find is you find, you see people bagging out PHP or something like that, right? But mm. if you've done good work in a language, like let's say you'd put out a, a nice system based upon PHP, you won't have a bar of it. Like I'm, I'm a bit like that with C++. Like I, I did a decade of C++ and I uh, I hate it when people criticize C++ because I go, I, I think I did some of my finest work in C++, you know, doing really, you know, the browser that we're attempting to use is written in C++. So um, once you've done good work in a language, you you kind of, you, you don't want to hear any, oh, you, 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 uh, you don't brook much criticism of it because you've seen it work well for you. Anyway, so um, apart from Reframe, uh, so there are other efforts like this going on to, to make like a kind of a framework mm. around these things, like Fulcro, for mm. example. Uh, did, did you take a look at them? I, I, what do you think of? I uh, haven't. I should. I should go over, have a look and, yep. and steal all the good bits that I can find. Um, no, <laughs> yeah. doubt, no doubt. It's actually slack on my part that I haven't <laughs> gone across there and seen what they're doing really well. Mm. But uh, I get the impression Fulcro is much more of a, a front end connected to back end thing like mm. you know yeah yeah it's it's a whole, a whole yeah, stack, whole thing, stack yes. yeah. Yeah. so um yeah. uh, which is you know f which will be perfect for some people um you yeah, know yeah. Uh, uh, no i don't know too much about it though um sadly okay. but the the back end stuff uh, what, what kind of uh, things that you use for the back end is it usually something that is under your design control yes. or? yeah yeah um okay we, we use a sort of uh our intention is to use, because uh, we're getting into this a lot more, is CQRS-ish type of approach, um, you know, yeah. we, we, which is very reframe-ish, right? You know, you, you send a command. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not restful. You send a command. You uh, you interpret the command on the server, and then you, um, you know, you kind of effectively have subscriptions as well, sort of really. Um, uh, yeah. Sort of uh, to get data out. So we were using RethinkDB at one stage. Uh, unfortunately, that yeah. fell oh, over. Yeah, um, yeah, that's gone. Yeah, yeah. That, well, not fully though. No, I think Joint look after it, don't they? No, uh, no, I not think it's joint. A, a little, definitely, definitely own organization. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, we. I kind of really liked that idea of being able to get real time yeah. Yeah. updates out of the back end yep. into the front end, it kind of, because we're writing distributed systems, right? And, uh, you know, mm. the clients have to be connected to the back end and, you know, they're all part of this one great big system. And that, that real time flow of information, we, we abused that. That was great. I love that. <laughs> Our design <laughs> sort of like, um, it just, there is just some problems that just are so nicely solved with having that capability. But unfortunately, I think that's really, I mean, we're still using it in you know in the back end but no. uh but you know it'll be and it'll it's actually completely functional as it is right now rethink db sure. but mm -hmm. it, there's no further development really that's ever going to happen on it so you know come five years from now it'll be really showing its age um mm, yeah. yeah but uh yeah no much more you know postgressy these days and um cqrs <laughs> and postgres and yeah nice 
But there are, aren't there things like CouchDB which would give you those kind of things, Mike? Uh, I seem to remember looking at CouchDB at one stage. Weren't there some problems with data integrity on CouchDB, or am I getting mixed up with Mongo? I no, it's Mongo. It's Mongo, is it? Yeah, <laughs> it's always Mongo. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I think the poor guy, the poor no. guys who did uh, rethink DB, um, that's they cared a lot about data integrity and. There was Mongo just yes. screaming along and getting $10 million worth of funding and you know, <laughs> oh, no. screwing up databases. I mean, I'm probably being too harsh on Mongo, but you know what I mean? It's like, uh, uh, that actually, that's another very good example of people just got into Mongo and it seemed easy and they just got going. You know, mm -hmm. this is a, the Python yep. story yep. I was talking about before. And then before you know it, they're kind of invested and they're committed and it doesn't matter about data integrity anymore. And uh, and yep. off they go. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, that's what happens when you give people, a, a you know, a, a fast path in that they're there. I think this is the worse is better sort of yeah, situation, yeah. I think. Yeah. I mean, once you once you get in, you know, you yeah. have to. Yeah, in, that's that's Python. true heroin. That is. That yeah. is. That's the Python <laughs> heroin path. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think the thing about Mongo, I think, I mean, I, I probably, I haven't used it for a little while and it's probably, probably like you say, it's probably better now. But I remember the early days of Mongo when they didn't used to use F-Sync. Mm. You know, so <laughs> they used to they used to take a commit from you, mm. but they didn't actually commit it to the file system. Yeah. Why? Well, because F-Sync makes it a lot slower. So slow. Yeah, it turns out, yeah. you know. <laughs> we yeah, if we, so, you know, I know they fixed that now, so, mm, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, no doubt we're being far too harsh on MongoDB too. So uh, oh, yeah, there's, yeah. there'll be people out there and sort of say, you know what you were saying about PHP before? Well, guess what? I've written, yeah. <laughs> I've written good systems using MongoDB and I don't need to hear you criticize it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've, I've used it myself yeah. yeah, and it's fine. Yeah. So maybe yeah, uh, Firebase. Fun, fun at the beginning. Re, re, uh, uh, instead of RethinkDB, there's uh, Firebase. There's a new uh, Google Firebase database out because um, the, the original yep. one was a very limited sort of hierarchical model that, mm. uh, you know, it was limited, right? Whereas the new one looks yep. much more fully featured. You can query, do better queries and yep. indexes and all that sort of stuff. That could be an interesting path too. Yeah, yeah, and you, you're probably more probably going to last a bit longer if it's uh, under <laughs> Google's uh, yeah. supervision. Yeah, that that's of course. Like I love like Google Plus, like you know, yeah, Google Wave. Yeah. <laughs> do you remember the days? Do you remember the days not that long ago when there was Google I/O would happen, and it's like you were oh, sitting yeah. Yeah. on the edge of your seat waiting to hear yeah. what yeah. came out. <laughs> Which like, one? This is maybe seven years ago now. Yeah. Who can remember yeah, the last yeah, Google yeah, I.O.? Yeah. I don't know. I didn't see it. I didn't watch it. No. And yeah, and even no the idea. Apple, you know, the Apple events, you know, sitting on the edge the of your WC. seat waiting. We don't have those yeah. events yeah. anymore. I'm, no. no. I mean, we, we do, but people, I think. Uh, we have we have the conch now. Surprised. Well, I, I was about to say, we have Rich Hickey's <laughs> keynote to look forward to. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, uh, yeah. So now, I, now it's all Rich Hickey. Yeah, now. I put my, I, like, I have to tell you, I the last conch, the, the videos came up and I saw that the Rich Hickey, um, uh, his keynote was up and I went, right, it's it's pointless to resist not procrastinating and watching that, right? So I will, I yeah. now must watch that. I went and got myself a cup of tea, came back, sat down. And I remember just yeah. noticing my sense of satisfaction and enjoyment for what was about to happen. I didn't know what he was talking about. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. like uh, but uh, <laughs> I just knew it was going to be good. And of course it was. But sort of, um, yeah, 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 that's, you're right. That's the new Google I.O. for us. Yeah. 
yeah exactly yeah, yeah. i mean i'm i'm wondering next time richie comes on then she's it's completely mundane stuff yeah. like you know what you're all sitting i was like oh my god my mind is blown <laughs> <laughs> i am i am i am sitting now oh this is amazing mm. <laughs> but anyway at It, there were some interesting uh, things but uh, i think the last talk that that i saw was about the music and other stuff and then he was like he started it like i know you guys are expecting i'm going to reveal something magical but i'm going to talk about music mm. <laughs> okay. now the one that last conch one was the one where he gave all the layers of um of what yeah, what's yeah, what's yeah. actually hard yeah. right and and yeah, that that yeah. was such a good talk i you know as an yeah. older programmer i um i uh, i loved what he said there that was you know solving that intricate solving of puzzles that you see in scala and haskell or whatever it's so yeah. true um yeah yeah what i liked about that though was the fact that he or it seemed like the people were concerned about that that it's all these uh, old guys that are doing closure now and it's all you know that that's <laughs> it was quite i mean uh, the funny thing is that i think there's something to that but um you know because we're all kind of let's say you know mature gentlemen on the podcast here um but the um But when we went to the Berlin Closure D, it was very, very young, very youthful. You know, it was nice to see that there's actually, there's a lot of generations mm. interested in Closure. This is not just for, you know, wizened, mm. uh, sort of like skeptical, hardened old kind of programmers as well. Did, what, did, which is can, good. Can I ask, uh, well, actually, I'll tell you, my, my, my process of actually becoming interested in Lisp was really, uh, I mean, I did it all the way back in uni. I, I remember we did a... a course on snowball lisp and it's comparative wow, comparative uh, <laughs> it was one semester and it was kind of comparative languages or something and we did snowball lisp and um oh there was some other language can't remember and so that was my introduction fortran. and back in back in <laughs> no fortran was a staple back then you know no, oh, they, yeah, these sure, were the weird yeah, languages yeah. right snowball and lisp and, maybe yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then I don't think I really I, the next time I heard about Lisp was really with CLOS. I, I went to a an object oriented conference in you know uh, one of the Uppsala conferences years ago, and there was somebody up the front talking yeah. about CLOS, and I remember like trying it. And then um, and really the, the next time I heard about Lisps seriously, other than just whispers here and there, was uh, mm. probably the Paul Graham stuff. You know how he wrote mm, all of yeah. those uh, essays. Arc and yeah, they yeah, were very influential. I've spoken to lots of people, really, and I, I get the feeling a lot of people came became quite interested in closure because, or Lisp in general, because of those particular essays. Uh, does that match mm. your experience at all? Uh, I, I'm not sure because there was a, I, I saw Lisp uh, almost ten years ago now. I think. uh because in, in when i started programming uh, i'm i'm not obviously i'm not as experienced as uh, you guys are uh, but i started with c and then i did all the 3d stuff and macromedia crap and that that kind of stuff and then c++ and then later i i got into java uh i think the lisp stuff because of a practical common lisp book that i mm. started reading uh by sibo uh, a long time ago and then during that time because i was heavily invested in java and then i was wondering okay is there something on mm. java um at that time i think there was also shen on on java and then there were a couple of other ex, you know experiments running on jvm mm. to write lisp and then i saw in 2008 or something i saw closure as well mm. um then i did completely weird shit like uh, writing wicket uh, you know apache wicket like a web framework mm-hmm. um plugins in closure for some weird reason don't don't ask but you survived um yeah yeah and then i moved on and then i started continuing pursuing uh, closure a bit 
but yeah i think the the one of the influential things was also the you know paul grams uh, uh, things about uh, on lisp and why lisp is a better programming mm. language and, and the, mm. that kind mm. of stuff yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know how Ray got into it. Well, I mean, for me, it was more like I, I didn't know Lisp at all. And I, I didn't, it, it, I actually ended up getting into Lisp because, bizarrely, because of Scala. Um, because <laughs> I went to a conference. Mm. Uh, I, I saw, I saw um, the, the Scala guy talk um, at some conference. And I thought, yeah, that's, that looks like the FP. This looks like the way, you know, there's a lot of magic going on in Scala. And he was talking about the, the compiler, how you can have one part of a compiler evaluating the other part. And it all seemed quite mm -hmm. tricky, but then he was explaining some nice things about, about how they can handle collections and stuff like this. So, so actually I tried with Scala first and then, mm -hmm. then I realized that Scala was too complicated mm -hmm. and I ended up looking, I ended up watching, bizarrely, I ended up watching some sort of YouTube stuff around Scheme and the, following the MIT course on Scheme. And then I eventually found uh, <laughs> this, uh, this the, the other one, the SICP uh, YouTube mm. course. And uh, yeah. the, the whole Paul Graham stuff, it just passed me by, to be honest. Um, mm. You know, mm. I was into Java and Scala, all the VM stuff. And then eventually, after after Scala, I, I realized that, you know, I was listening to some podcasts. And actually, it was an Australian podcast. And I can't remember what it was now, but they were talking about how much easier Clojure was than Scala. So mm. so I thought, oh, what's mm. this about then? So it was all very tangential. I, I haven't, it's not a straight road, unfortunately. You know. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I was learning Scala just because I felt, you know, that whole learning new language every, every second year thing, yeah. I was learning yeah. Scala. And I was about a month into it, and I just sort of went, oh, well, I'm just not interested in this. This is too hard. Like, my problems yeah. are hard. I don't want my language to be hard. So, which yeah, is exactly yeah. what Richiki was talking about before. I had that direct experience where yeah, I was just sort yeah. of there going, no, I'm just, I am just not going to devote this much of my brain to my language. Um, you know, I mm -hmm. have to devote it to my problem. So, uh, yeah. And, yeah. and I, then at the same time, I read something that a Scala person was saying, yeah, I love Scala. You know, I spend three days coming up with a perfect solution. And then towards the end, he, the per this person who was a Scala programmer said, mind you, the closure programmer, they got out of there in just under an hour. And their solution was just fine. <laughs> and I went, now that language sounds like me. I wonder what that is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, intrinsically yeah, yeah. a bit lazy. So I want that one hour job, you know, not the three days of intricate beauty. So, um, yeah, that's yeah. how I ended up. Fair enough. Okay. I think uh, we have, uh, oh, almost one and a half hour, eight minutes to go. Okay. So, um, so Mike, anything else you want to you want to talk about other than uh, whatever the stuff that we spoke um, for almost one and a half hour now? Well, probably uh, we were talking before about community before. So uh, Daniel's yeah, oh, been yeah, doing yeah. a lot of work with uh, closure, closureist together, closure together. Mm -hmm. Yes, and yeah. I, I think that that yeah, yeah closureist together that that feels like an important thing. Uh, mm. And in particular, I think they they've got some companies involved, but. Really, yeah. for anyone listening, I think that you've got to get – it's all very good for you to be involved, but really you've got to get the companies involved because the companies have the deeper pockets. You know, $500 yeah. a month or whatever sort of a fee it is, you know, for a company who's doing a lot of closure work, that's cheap because, you know, they're getting the tooling improved, the documentation, whatever else mm -hmm. they do. That feels like a very good initiative and something for people to, you know, something very concrete that you can do to improve closure. So – um, yeah, so convince your company that they should be, um, you know, trying to give to uh, closure us together. They, they're going to do good stuff from what I can see. 
great point. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, so close this together. Yes. Yeah. Get your company to join. Exactly. Um, nothing else, I don't think. I mean, uh, Reframe will continue to evolve step by step. There's a secret yep. folder underneath uh, docs called EP, which is where I do documentation on new features um, <laughs> yeah. uh, that no one ever knows about, but don't tell anyone. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, we're not looking. No, there. don't look there. Um, and it's actually non-eccentric too. Uh, so, uh, yeah, oh. no, it's no jokes. So some people... People who find those jokes a hurdle, they'll like that. Um, yeah, give give uh, reframe reframe 10x a go. That's you know, give that a go. Uh, yeah. And um, and then become 10x programmer. That's right. Become a 10 become the yeah. 10x programmer you always wanted to be. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we guarantee when you start using it. <laughs> start even not even yeah. finish you know just that, that's the moment amazing. your fingers the hit the keyboard and type yeah, yeah. as soon as you include that dependency you're yeah, bang, done basically bang yeah <laughs> super batteries yeah. <laughs> yeah um on that bombshell yeah. <laughs> nice okay so i think that's it uh, from us uh, for today uh, uh th thanks a lot mike uh, you know i've taken time today on Sunday evening, and there's been a bit of a uh, difficult thing to arrange all the things with uh, stuff working upside down in Australia. Yeah, and, and me using um, Windows. There, I said it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I admitted oh, it. Oh, shit. Not only, not oh, only do God. I use Cursive, but I use Windows. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I mean, your, your documentation is your, you know, uh, way of um, cleansing. My cleansing. Hmm. So that's okay. okay. So we... we, we um, well, I don't, I don't take any... Uh, Offense in you using Windows anymore. So in that's fact, fine. I think this confirms. Uh, doesn't this confirm everything so, that you know about people who don't use Emacs? <laughs> no, I think that the, the, the thing is that once you use Emacs, I think you will start with the reframe thousand X. I, I actually <laughs> did. This will probably be the worst thing, but I did used to use Emacs a gazillion years ago. Oh, yeah, VI wow. then then Emacs. So you know. I think otherwise you would not gain this much oh, of wisdom. Right. I know okay, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can stop. I'll That's give you 24 hours to stop that flattery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, that's it from us for today. This is episode number 34. And this is Vijay from Holland and uh, Ray from Belgium. And just a quick uh, uh, shout outs to people who are helping us. Wouter, who is doing all sorts of uh, audio stuff for us. Thanks a lot, Wouter. And then Lubov, our designer, and Pizzeri, who is uh, whose music we are abusing and uh, basically copying, and then you know not paying him. Um, and one more thing is that Dutch Closure Day is going to happen on twenty first of April. Um, I'll be there, and Ray will be there. And uh, unfortunately, all the tickets are sold out. So if you can bribe me, I can get you some tickets. Um, but it's a free event. Uh, we have a very uh, fantastic uh, schedule. Um, a lot of nice speakers coming over uh, for spending a day in, in Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. um, I think we'll talk about it after the after the event. Um, that's it from us. Uh, Ray, anything else that I missed? One, well, two more things. One is uh, thanks again to all the people that uh, put a few quid in there uh, in our uh, Patreon pot. Um, you know, it helps to keep the the costs of the show all managed, which is fantastic. Um, 
And also just a small, you know, shout out to our apropos thing that we're doing on the video. Yeah, that other um, thing. That other thing. <laughs> people are actually, there's quite a lot of people joining in and enjoying that REPL experience. And um, so, you know, if, if, you, if you're listening to this and you'd like to uh, watch a few closure programmers fail live on YouTube, then we're doing that on a regular basis. So <laughs> please join us. So this is a Twitter apropos cast. Apropos cast, yes. Yeah. So follow that one. Of course, we'll uh, put the links in the show notes. Yeah. So that's it for today. Thanks a lot, Thank Mike. Thank you. And goodbye. Bye now. I'm here.